Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me on a Saturday morning re-recording. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Darcy? You know, I feel good because it was really good yesterday, so I think we can make it better today. For those of you who are tuning in to this episode, we recorded yesterday which was on a Friday afternoon, and thought we did a fantastic bang-up job, and then we had all sorts of technical difficulties. We basically just had a really good conversation with each other, and it wasn't recorded for posterity. The the world of karma bit us in the butt for some weird reason. Like, my microphone came undone at at some point, and it was just Darcy's track, and then Darcy cracked her computer screen, and then... Like an idiot. In the middle of podcasting, the our downstairs or upstairs tenants started having a conversation in the basement, and it came through on the recording, and it just everything sounded super echoey to me, and it's just ugh. so we're back at it today, round two, doing a redo on this episode, yeah. and now I am down in like a bonehead. I didn't even know that we had like a recording area in the basement of our house. Um, I, I think they had had some kind of band practice or guitar playing stuff and there's guitar hooks on the wall and it's soundproof and carpeted and uh, obviously created by a musician and it's the perfect space to record the podcast in and it's there's piles of boxes everywhere because we moved into this place and from a very large house into a house about half the space um, and didn't have enough room for all of our things so we packed mm-hmm. all the boxes in this downstairs room this recording room and so there's boxes everywhere, but it just, it muffles the sound so nicely. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to create so much better of a sound, um, barring the issues with Darcy cracking her computer screen and having to use her backup computer. I mean, right now I'm on the crack screen, but uh, I am going to get it fixed, which means I'm not going to have this computer for a while. And my other computer is not a laptop, so um, I'm not going to be able to record at my closet, which is where I kind of get my acoustic... Uh, cushioning or buffering or whatever you want to call it Um, it's kind of funny how a lot of people do that they record in their closet because it just blocks off the sound like this house that i live in is just hardwood floors everywhere and it just makes for such an echoey and all the rooms are big with high ceilings and wood floors and just it makes for just terrible sound quality yeah but this basement room is carpeted and it's got boxes everywhere and the walls are soundproof and it just, it, I'm hoping this sound is going to be so much better for you guys. I apologize for the tinny quality. It's been that way since March when I moved here. I've been recording. I tried to record and it's my, one of the smaller rooms I turned into a closet and just put clothes racks around the outside and I thought it would kind of make up for it and turn it into a decent sound quality with the clothes kind of muffling some of the noise, but it just still to me sounded super echoey. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hopeful that this sound is going to be so much better. Yeah. And it's I don't think nice. it was bad, but I think this is going to be a lot better. Yeah. And it's nice and cool down here. Like yesterday, I was mm. literally like sweating. You know, the heat, the summer heat that we've been having. Mm-hmm. I could feel the sweat just like trickling down my back and my Ooh, chest. And like that. as I'm sitting there, because this house, like we have AC, we have central air, but there are certain rooms of the house where the AC just doesn't register or the yeah. vents are blocked or something. So there's two rooms where we really don't feel the AC when it's on. And that recording room is one of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. 
you had central AC though in Escondido, right? Because you yeah, were so far yeah. inland. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing was, the closet that I recorded in, my master bedroom closet, didn't have AC in the closet. Oh. Which is weird. Mm. Like, it was such a huge closet. The closet was yeah. literally like bigger than my bedroom now. Yeah. And we didn't have AC in the closet, mm. which was, and that's where all the electronic stuff was too. Like all of the wiring oh, and the really? electronics and the um, internet wiring mm. and all that kind of stuff was in the closet, but there was no AC in there. Well, good thing, uh, you know, brush fires aren't like really common in Southern California, so. <laughs> right. But the area we were in was, I think, kind of not really in the danger zone. Yeah. But as you all know, I moved away from there in March and into the beautiful, lovely state of Illinois. Which has had some of its own issues. Like, we had a really massive storm last week, and there was oh, a really? tornado warning. It was my first, like, official tornado warning thing here oh, with the sirens. And I know, right? <laughs> I was in one in Kansas when my sister lived in Kansas, and we all just kind of went down to the basement and hung mm-hmm. out. Um, but this instance was very strange because I was like, what's that sound? <laughs> and the siren goes off, and you're supposed yeah. to kind of make yourself safe or go to the basement yeah. or whatever. I, I really don't even, I didn't even know what I was really supposed to do when the siren goes off. I just be aware, like look, look out. Uh, so the siren means uh, that the tornado has been spotted on the ground and you are supposed to get either to the lowest possible point in your house. Or if you're like me and have an apartment, you want to get into like the bathtub or something like that. Um, so get away from windows and like go to the center of your house and as low as you possibly can. So um, basically yeah. everyone in my neighborhood went outside. <laughs> everyone well, was the on the front is, porch just staring at it. And I was like, and that's oh. the thing is when you are in a place where you have a lot of tornadoes and you hear the siren, like at least once a month, especially where I am in the summer, we're yeah. forever having tornado warnings. There's always a tornado, at least once a tornado warning, at least once a week. Um, you get desensitized to it. A little bit, so yeah. you're just like, eh, whatever. It's it's kind of like an earthquake in in San Diego. You're just like, oh, that was an earthquake, and you don't really bother with it. But then there's like a really big one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, I think, but, and then they they put it every Tuesday. They do a test. They test it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, I think it's hard to tell like what's the real danger, you know? Yeah. And it was super raining hard, and then you know, crazy wind, and then it was perfectly mm-hmm. still. That's when it's really close. And it's like, oh, that's that's nice. (laughs) That's actually bad. I'm outside. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. You definitely don't (laughs) want to be outside when it gets quiet like that. Um, Because that means that the wind has taken everything near you. Like it's like sucked it all away from you, which means the storm is really close. Yeah. So. I was just worried about our baby turkeys because there's a little turkey family. <laughs> there's yeah. a little turkey family that lives in our side yard and they have six babies and I'm just, I wanted them to be safe. So <laughs> that was my concern. They'll be all right. <laughs> the turkey babies. Don't take the turkey babies. Yeah. But anyway, um, today I've got a kind of an interesting topic. I know that this show, we've primarily talked about murder. We've Mm -hmm. done a couple of kidnapping cases and some other kind of weird little cases here and there, but the show primarily focuses about on murder, right? Mm -hmm. With good reason. I mean, that's what sells. That's what's popular. That's what the people want to hear about. That's what true crime sells, you know, murder, right? But today I've actually got a different sort of a case. I want to talk about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, the Theranos scandal. Which is really interesting because there's a lot going on with this case. Both civil and criminal charges have been filed at this point. 
But I got a lot of my um, information from 2020, and I'll put all my sources into the show notes because I read a few articles about this as well, just kind of doing some research about Elizabeth Holmes because I remember when this whole thing went down. Do you remember Mm -hmm. when Theranos and the whole... I remember... Like, I remember when it, like, when the scandal happened. I don't remember anything about Theranos before that. And I also have, like, not seen any of the documentaries. I've never seen any of the, like, interviews with her. I don't, I don't know almost anything about this case. You've so blocked it I'm out. I'm excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> you blocked it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good. Um, so I'm Elizabeth- excited to learn. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of learned quite a bit about this as well because I'd watched her on the news. I'd seen kind of things about the story, but I hadn't really delved into it in any way, shape, or form. But let's jump in. Elizabeth Ann Holmes was born February 3rd, 1984. She's a child of the 80s. Oh my gosh, she's just like six months older than me. Yeah, she's definitely kind of in your little thing here. Um, she's done so much more crimes than I have. All right. She's she's already on top of it. Um, she was born in Washington, D.C. Her father was hmm, a former vice president of Enron. Oh, good Lord. Okay. So uh, we're surprised about that, right? Yeah. Following Enron, the family footsteps. Like, huge scandal. But uh, he had also held a lot of officer type positions with companies like the EPA, the USDA, etc. He was definitely a big time executive for a lot of different things. Um, Her mother was a congressional committee staffer. And they basically had sort of a lifestyle that they of affluence and sort of these big time positions that kind of showed how incredibly kind of wealthy and affluent they were. But they were actually Elizabeth's family was the Fleischman family of Fleischman yeast. Oh, okay. So obviously by the time she got there, she is the great, great, great granddaughter of Charles Fleischman, who was, you know, the Fleischman yeast fortune. And they helped found the New Yorker magazine. They owned Coconut Island, which is an island off the coast of Hawaii. They entertained Amelia Earhart, Shirley Temple, and other big time celebrities in the heyday of their family. But by the time Elizabeth came along, that fortune was gone. Um, Okay. And when people asked her as a child what she wanted to be when she grew up, she said, I want to be a billionaire. Not a millionaire, yeah. not wealthy, not the president, not whoever. Yeah. She, she wanted to be a billionaire. No particular job in mind, just no, have a lot just of a money. Billionaire. Okay. And so they were like, oh, isn't that cute? She's going to restore the family. And, you know, from all indications, she was a very intelligent young girl. And... Mm-hmm. They took and put her into the prestigious St. John's School in Houston, which kind of makes sense. Uh, at first, I was kind of like, why would they put her in a school in Houston? There's not a lot of prominent schools in Houston. But then Darcy reminded me that um, that's where Enron was, right? I That's what I think. I'm not 100% certain on that, but I'm pretty sure it was in, in Houston. Yeah. Well, uh, she was a very smart girl. She participated in track and field. And although she was not very good, she usually she was like the <laughs> last one to finish. She would not let them shut anything down, and she would not quit until she finished her race. Hmm. But she excelled at that school. She was interested in computer programming and claims to have started her first business back then, selling C++ computer compilers to Chinese universities. So she's just like a regular Zuckerberg. Right. She's got this kind of entrepreneurial spirit even then as a young child, and Pretty early on, she starts taking Mandarin Chinese classes. Ooh, and, that's really smart. 
Right. And I think, you know, if, if anything, and you want to prep your child nowadays and your child is in junior high or high school, get them to take Chinese because it is huge. It's a huge yeah. start in the business world and it gives you a tremendous leg up when you're looking at resumes and getting yeah. into the right schools and, and getting into good companies for internships and things like that. Having any kind of Chinese knowledge is just awesome. But she really picked it up very well and talked the folks at Stanford into letting her attend the summer Mandarin program. And this was not something that was typically available or allowed for high school students. And she talked them into letting her into this Stanford program and she excelled. Wow. She then kind of used that as a springboard to attend Stanford university starting in 2002, which, you know, she comes from an affluent family. She's knows Mandarin Chinese. She's already been in their summer program. It's kind of a shoe in that she's going to go there. Right. Mm -hmm. She starts, um, studying chemical engineering and she starts doing some research and she's known to have done research in the lab and school of engineering. She's also known to have worked in a lab during her freshman year at the Genome Institute of Singapore. Whoa. Which I guess is a big thing. Um, I don't yeah, think most like freshmen must... test in labs, yeah. right? They don't really work in generally in labs, right? Mm-mm. No, I mean, like, the only labs I ever took in undergrad at all were, like, coursework labs. You don't typically get a job working in a lab as an undergrad, especially a freshman. Well, evidently, she she did. And wow. she was working on the severe acute respiratory syndrome collection of blood samples for that with syringes. Okay. So she was early on working in collecting blood samples and kind of seeing okay. the ins and outs of that and like what happens and what does it take to collect these blood samples and how do people react to it? And she's kind of, kind of filing this away in her mind. Um, evidently she'd also filed for her first patent in 2003, which was her into her second year of college for a wearable drug delivery patch. Oh, okay. Like Which a dermal to me is like, Yeah, like that's kind of a big deal. Like yeah. you're 18, 19 years old and you're filing for patents. Yeah. Like for that real. to me is crazy. Um, but she did not graduate from Stanford. She ended up actually dropping out in 2004. Again, following the template. Yeah, yeah. And, she, you know, she's in that tech era. You know, mm-hmm. we've got Hewlett Packard, Silicon Valley, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, like all these guys that are just known for having dropped out of college and started yeah. their own business and revolutionized the tech world. And yeah, she's they made dropping out of college like cool, right? Cool. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to take my tuition money and fund a consumer healthcare tech company. Mm-hmm. So it's different from what's been done already. And she's got ideas. So she's at Stanford drops out. She's in the heart of Silicon Valley. What's she going to do except be this successful person in the shadow of all these tech giants like Sun and Yahoo and HP? And she is very, very deliberate about her choices. And she knows that she's got this dream to be this very, very wealthy person and change the world. Everybody around her sees that she's very intelligent and they call her this brilliant young girl with amazing business ideas and she's going to make something. And she's talking to people and hyping herself up and she's telling them all that she has this idea for blood testing devices. And they're basically checking levels in the blood with just a single drop of blood. And that single drop of blood from a pinprick on your finger tells you when to take medications and what levels are off. And essentially, 
she says as well that she was sort of afraid of needles and she's always been afraid of needles and this sort of idea was born out of her fear of needles and finding an easier way to collect blood without getting into that big needle with a syringe of blood coming out mm-hmm. and just simplifying everything, making it easier, making it more accessible and allaying people's fears who are afraid of needles. So she's like basically eliminating the volume of blood you need to test for like any and all, everything. Right. Is what she's saying. Right. Okay. So like it, it's just... The idea and the concepts that she has could pretty much revolutionize a good portion of the healthcare field, right? Sure. But the only problem is she's talking to professors and mentors and all these people about this, but there's they think it's a terrible idea. Oh. They're telling her this this isn't possible. You can't <laughs> do this. It just isn't possible. The technology doesn't exist and it's just not possible to do this. But their protests and their negative thoughts and their, you know, telling her the reality of this just fell on deaf ears. Yeah, what do professors know? <laughs> she was nodded and like, whatever. And she just kept going back and talking to more and more people. Or she'd talk to the same people over and over again. She didn't care. She's basically this 19-year-old girl who'd taken, like, a couple of courses of chemical engineering and decided she was going to drop out and revolutionize this industry, which just kind of seemed... A little odd to some people. I wonder, like, it's got to be kind of annoying to be a Stanford professor. Where, like, you're the, you've worked so hard to get your PhD and you teach at Stanford and you do, like, all this amazing research. And then you have these punk kids come in and be like, I took a year of college. I'm going to go ahead and drop out and start my own business. That's yeah, got to be really yeah. annoying. About this and I'm going to revolutionize this yeah. industry even though I've taken one or two classes in chemical yeah. engineering. I'm good. Yeah, it's got to be like you just probably want to pop them in the mouth. Probably, yeah, <laughs> just for sure. Like these upstarts. Yeah, she had this vision though, and she refused to let it go. She anyone who disagreed with her, she didn't care. She was not going to let this idea go. She picked her department chair at Stanford and made him her mentor, and he bet his career on her. Ooh. She was going to go places. He knew she was a genius and that they were so very, very rare in this world. And he backed her and he mm. drug her around campus and introduced her to everyone that he could. And this was the time and the place for this. If anybody was going to do it, she was going to do it. And if you kind of listen to her speak kind of in the early years as well, like she had this very, very artificially deep voice. Like she was comfortable. She was confident. She knew she was going places. And it was very, I think, easy to look at her and think, okay, if, if she thinks she can do this, she can do it. Like, she convinced. Hmm. She was very, very convincing. And I think it came out later that her friends and family insisted that her voice was naturally deep. But then you can hear some later interviews with her where it's a couple of octaves higher. Oh, so really? I think the deep voice, she was wearing the black turtlenecks to try to emulate Steve Jobs. <laughs> and, you know, this really was a lot of a male dominated industry. Mm -hmm. And I think she felt like she needed to do those things to make herself stand out and to take charge. I can buy that. Right. So she compared herself to Steve jobs and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and was wearing this black turtleneck and like, (laughs) Hey, I'm doing this. Not lacking in uh, confidence, huh? No confidence problems whatsoever for this young woman, but she she files her first patent and for this particular device to draw the blood with a single drop. And the thing about filing a patent that most people don't know is when you file for a patent, you don't necessarily have to prove that the item does what it says. Right. You're basically just filing a patent to preserve and protect the way you've created this item. So let's say 
this cell phone. If you're filing for a patent for this cell phone, you're filing and you're when you file the patent, you're putting each individual part of this cell phone in the patent mm-hmm. and the way that you've constructed it. You're not claiming, proving, or patenting that this item actually works. Yeah. You're just patenting the individual parts of the item and what it does. Yeah. Like right? you're like putting a patent on like the face ID thing and saying like... Yeah. Where you're going to be able to unlock your phone with just your face and the camera and like all of that, but you're not actually saying this will work. It's just like your idea. And there are plenty of patents that have been filed that never worked for items Mm -hmm. that never worked because what they're trying to do is protect this technology before everyone else gets a hold of it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you put the seed money in and you invest in this technology and it works out. And sometimes just as many as the other times that it succeeds, it fails as well. So that's the risk you take when you patent items and when you're in the technology field, because quite simply, some things work, some don't. So she files her patent for this and she realizes that in order for her to move forward, she's going to need some money. Mm-hmm. She's going to need money to research. She's going to need money to develop this item. And she can't go to traditional investors because she, they want proof that this is real and doable. And she doesn't have that. She doesn't she even have like pat- a prototype or anything. No, she has the patent information on what she wants to do with this item, but she doesn't have real hmm. proof that it's doable, that she can do this. Mm-hmm. Right. So she goes to a family friend who's Tim Draper and he gives her a million dollars of seed money invested in her company in 2004 a million dollars at 20 yeah this is right after she drops out of stanford and takes her tuition money to start this business she talks this man into giving her a million dollars for her company is that not the truest definition of like white privilege like that you can just yes you can't get money from traditional investors so you just go talk to a friend of your families and they give you a million dollars yes this is like that upper crust like blue blood society where you're basically your name is your credit like yeah wow your name is everything yeah so she she got them to give her a million dollars and she's moving on with this idea that the single drop of blood for diagnostic testing is doable and it's around this time that she is starting real-time cures in palo alto so this is like she's named her company real-time cures okay and she's her kind of premise is that she wants to democratize healthcare, whatever that means okay she wants to turn it into something where the patients have more control over their health where they can get these blood tests without necessarily getting doctor approval where they can test for certain things without having to have a doctor prescribe them this at a Mm -hmm. lab right people can do what they want when they want they can test their blood sugar they can test hormones that would be nice if it were yes well i mean a drop or two of blood it seems i remember when this whole thing came out and just thinking oh that seems doable like in my layperson's mind not mm-hmm. coming from a medical degree not coming from any and, and the thing is you're much different because you're coming from sort of a medical background yeah. you've taken anatomy you know some of the basic tenets behind the scientific stuff involved right. in this I do not. I come from the legal field and English classes and literary, yeah. you know, cl- things like that. I, when I heard about this, I was like, oh, that's cool. That sounds like something that would be really awesome. Like, to me, nowhere in my mind did I say that's impossible. You can't well, do that. Well, think about it this way. Think about, like, how far DNA has come and how you used to be able to have, you used to require, like, a large sample to be able yeah. to tell anything. And now that those samples are getting much, much smaller, it's 
kind of the same thing. It's just... Yeah, you can just scrape a tiny bit from underneath a fingernail and test DNA on that. So to me, knowing that, I thought to myself when I heard about this back in the early 2000s, oh, that's cool. Like, that's doable. Like, nowhere in my mind did I think this is an impossible idea. She's never going to be able to do this. Well, and, and DNA sequencing is one thing that you're looking for like right. it, it sounds like she kind of is just saying like there's an infinite number of things we can test for with this teeny 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 tiny sample of blood which just is not feasible and that's what it sounds like her professors told her yeah well they were telling her it wasn't possible yeah. the science the technology wasn't there and she's pitching the idea to professors who quickly sh- shut her down saying this is impossible she goes to other expert medical professionals and folks at Stanford, and they keep telling her the same thing. This, you can't do this. It is yeah. not possible. Not with the science and the technology that we have right now. And she obviously didn't get the same reaction from everyone because the dean of the School of Engineering backed her. Wow. And he was like, you can do this. I believe in you. I don't know how she talked him into it. I don't know how she was able to convince him. But clearly this woman had a tremendous sense of persuasion and a tremendous mm-hmm. ability to persuade people because she got him and she got a lot. Of, and I'm going to get into this in a minute. Some of the different people that worked with this company. But by 2003, Elizabeth renames her company Theranos. And Theranos is a combination of therapy and diagnosis. Oh, okay. And she's chatting up venture capitalists by that mm-hmm. point. She's got her million dollars of seed money and she's using it to just push forward with everything she has in her. She's, like, made Steve Jobs like her idol. She's speaking in this deep voice. She's talking to colleagues. She's cracking it through all this. She's breaking barriers. She is getting backing. By 2010, she has $92 million. Holy mother of God. And everyone is jumping on the bandwagon. She has done it. She's, like, breaking these barriers so fast that people are just like, what is going on? She then convinces George Schultz to join Theranos board of directors after a two hour meeting. And as I mentioned previously, not in this podcast, but George (laughs) Schultz is an American government official, economist and business executive who was a member of the presidential cabinet for Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. So he basically shaped U.S. economy and foreign policy in the late 20th century. So this guy's a big time guy. Yeah. Big time. And she... Two hours was all it took for her to convince this man to join the board of directors for her company. Jeez. She was also known as having the most illustrious board of directors in U.S. corporate history over the next three years. That's got to be saying something. I bet there's some, like, pretty impressive boards out there. Yeah. She legit ran this company like no one would have thought was possible. And she flew under the radar big time. Like this company literally released no press releases or they didn't have a website until 2013. Huh. So from 2004, 2003 to 2010 years, no website. How did she still no keep press releases. funding? And she's got $92 million. $92 That's million. Dollars. Then she explodes even further when she gets a Walgreens partnership. Oh, boy. And they launched this in-store blood sample collection center concept where each one of the Walgreens would have these blood collection centers. You could go in. You could get the things that you want tested. One single prick. You're good to go out the door. They'll diagnose. They'll give you all kinds of information. And Elizabeth is like, 
as a person, as a businesswoman, she's on these Fortune 500 magazine covers. She's on Forbes magazine. She's in the New York Times. She's the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. She's number 110 on Forbes 400 list in 2014. And she is killing it. Her hmm. company was valued at $9 billion. Jesus Christ. And she's got over $400 million in venture capital. $400 million. With that no product. Nope. No product. Unbelievable. She also has her name on 18 U.S. patents and 66 foreign patents. Huh. And she's getting agreements with the Cleveland Clinic. She's with Capital Blue Cross, AmeriHealth, and, and all these people want to use her technology, even though she's not shown that it's doing anything. She's a golden child by now and can do no wrong. And we all know that... Sometimes that works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the Wall Street Journal got involved at that time. Okay. And they got a tip from a medical expert, um, and this person thought that Elizabeth's tech idea was really shady, and he called her out. Or he or she called her out. I don't know whether... It was an anonymous person. Mm -hmm. So we don't know who it was, whether it was a man or a woman or whatever, but... They basically said that the blood testing device that she was touting was too good to be true, which mm -hmm. many professors and professionals involved with her thought and said that from the jump. Yeah. And whistleblowers and former employees start to jump in with company docs. Uh-oh. Yeah. And Elizabeth learned about the investigation at that time and tried to shut it down. She made legal and financial threats against the, <laughs> against the journal. Clearly... These guys were pushing her buttons, mm -hmm. and she thought that I think she'd kind of gotten this sense of power by that sure. point, and was starting to feel like she was invincible. Well, but, and she's in so deep now that it's not like she can come out and be like, "Yep, you got me." Yeah, but I mean, it's the Wall Street Journal. It's not like it's some like rag tag. Yeah gossip magazine it's the wall street journal yeah you come for the is, wall street journal you best not miss yeah and by october 2015 the wall street journal published their expose article calling out theranos despite the threats that elizabeth mm -hmm. had tried to sue them and like all kinds of other stuff she tried to get an injunction to prevent the publishing of the article and it, none of it worked mm -hmm. so this addison blood testing device is what she called it that holmes thought was so amazing uh, was not giving accurate results and the biggest part of the scandal was that Elizabeth was using commercially available machines for most of her testing. She wasn't using her own device. But she was, like, passing it off as her own technology? Yes. Oops. Yep. So the same reporter that did the Wall Street Journal um, article went and published a bunch of different... Published a series of articles about Theranos and pretty much detailed all the company problems and published a book. Ooh. So, like, all this information is now out there in the public, and Elizabeth Holmes goes into damage control. She gets PR firm. She's calling the Wall Street Journal a tabloid oh by that point. She's doing everything she can to try to downplay this. Yeah. And she promises to publish data to prove that the accuracy of Theranos' testing is not in question her machines, her technology is legit. I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to publish data for this. And meanwhile, people have got to be thinking like, you've been doing this for over 10 years and yeah. you still don't have 
information and data to publish like what's going on yeah generally if you are conducting science in that kind of manner especially for profit um you don't need an expose to publish your data usually you want to go ahead and just get that out there on your own initiative yeah yeah but you know she appears on talk shows and is trying to change the world and they just are hating me because I'm a visionary and all great visionaries encountered opposition and went on to financial and other types of success. And I'm just being picked on unfairly and blah, blah, blah. Um, But meanwhile, in January, 2016, the centers for Medicare and Medicaid services send a warning letter to Theranos after they inspect a Newark, California testing laboratory and discover that there are a ton of irregularities with staff proficiency procedures, equipment, etc. So Uh-oh. something ain't right, right? Yeah. By March 2016, Elizabeth faces a ban on owning and operating a lab after they had not fixed the ongoing problems and violations in her testing laboratories. So she got the warning in January 2016, but by March she hadn't fixed any of it, and they were just like, nope, we're shutting you down. Yeah. But ever the media-savvy businesswoman, Holmes goes on to the Today Show. So we all know that, you know, when you need to look legit, you go on the Today Show, right? Yeah, they're not going to ask you, like, hard questions. And no, it's going to be let you super do fluffy. You want, pretty much, yeah. It's going to be, like, the fluffiest interview you've ever had. Yeah. She downplays the whole thing yet again, saying how devastated she is that this happened and she's going to fix the problems and the labs are going to be rebuilt and she's getting help from a new scientific and medical advisory board and everything is going to be copacetic from here on out. And this is 2016, you said? Yeah, yeah. This so is she's like been going mid- for 13 years. and Yeah, okay. mid-2016, she's on the Today Show telling them, oh, I'm devastated. I didn't know this was going on. I didn't know that these problems existed, even though they'd sent her all these warning letters and... People were calling her out left and right, and the Wall Street Journal is like expose. I didn't know anything. Mm, sure thing. <laughs> right? So, highly believable. By July 2016, Holmes is officially banned from operating, owning, directing, etc., any type of blood testing service for two years. Just two so, years? Yeah, just two years. Mm. And for I think for that industry and for what she was trying to do, that was like a death. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It, right. She's trying to develop so this technology, and she's got all these agreements with these companies to provide services, and they ban her from this. Yeah. Like, that's, like, huge. Yeah. And she immediately appeals that decision, and during this time, Walgreens says, peace out, and they close their in-store blood collection centers. Yeah. But that's not the end of it. Uh, the FDA steps in and halts the use of the capillary tube nanotainer device. This is a core part of Theranos technology. So basically the item and the technology that she was touting and saying that they needed to use to create the single pinprick blood drop test, you can't use that technology anymore. The FDA is like, nope, we're done. You can't Hmm. do that anymore. And this lets all the floodgates loose. 2017, Arizona files suit against Theranos saying that it sold... 1.5 1.5 million blood tests to Arizona residents while hiding important facts and not telling people that this technology was just not up to speed and not able to do what it said it could do. Mm. So they want their money. And this is a civil suit, obviously. Mm-hmm. And in 2017, Theranos settles by agreeing to refund the consumers and pay about $225,000 in civil fines. That doesn't seem like enough. 
No. The total paid out on that once they refunded all the customers and consumers and paid the fine was about four point six five million. Still, that's like which it's a drop in the bucket. Nothing, yeah. Like essentially, when you're talking about or something, yeah. Well, but when you're talking about four four hundred million dollars in seed money, alone, it just seems like kind of a little slap on the wrist. But then the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of California launches a unspecified, which I don't really know why it would be unspecified, but FBI investigation and two class action lawsuits arise Hmm. claiming fraud. These are some major fraud charges that are filed. By March 16th, 2017, Theranos is bleeding out. 99% of the shareholders reached some sort of an agreement to dismiss any kind of litigation that they were trying to file against the company. Elizabeth releases a whole bunch of equity in her stock and gives them as much money to try to get them off her back as possible so that she doesn't have to shut her company down. Like, she's like, I'll do whatever it takes. So... She's, like, selling the uh, stock that she had in Theranos to, like, pay off the... No, she didn't sell anything. She gave oh. it to the stockholders so that they could oh. sell it. She gave oh, okay, them okay, different okay. options so that they could sell it, cash out, and be like, deuces. I'm done. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Right. So... It's like a buyout of stock. Essentially, yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. By March 14th, 2018, Holmes settles the SEC lawsuit, which was part of the allegations by the Department of Defense that she had actually sold them these tests and the technology to use in combat situations as well. Jesus Christ. Which is huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge because the DOD doesn't play. Like, no. Especially when it comes to veterans and soldiers and the military. Like, no. And I cannot believe that she was allowed to tout and sell this technology to use with them when it had not been proven. Like, to I'm me, sure... it just... It's crazy. I'm sure there's somebody that was on her board that had that was like high up in the DOD. Well, or I'm going to tell you just a, yeah. I'm going to talk about it in just a second, like yeah. who she had on her board that allowed this to move yeah. forward, which it's got to be very, very embarrassing for them at this point, mm-hmm. looking back. But she was forced to surrender voting control of her company and banned from holding officer positions in a public company for a period of ten years. Hmm. And she also received a five hundred thousand dollar fine, which again, like That's, a very, very yeah. minor little slap on the wrist. At the pinnacle of this company and their success, there were about 800 employees with Theranos. Whoa. Um, about 340 left October 2016 because they were let go, and about 155 were let go in January 2017. The rest kind of trickled down and lost their jobs and were gradually laid off until September 5th, 2018, when the paperwork was filed to formally dissolve Theranos with the remaining cash on hand going to pay off creditors. Which Jesus. I just have a feeling that it had been drained so so extensively by that period that there was very, very little left of that yeah. $400 million that was invested in the company between the lawsuits. And I'm sure that certain individuals within the corporation as well drained that money out thinking, crap, we mm-hmm. better take this money out now because we're going down. The ship is sinking. Mm-hmm. We need to take as much out as we can so that it doesn't all go to creditors. That is typically what happens with large companies. You had that with Enron. You had that with a lot of other companies that Mm -hmm. went under. They take out the cash that they need, and the employees are the ones that get screwed, or the stockholders or whoever. But the same sort of a thing, I think, happened here, although there's no concrete evidence that's been released at this point that any of that money was necessarily squirreled away, but I cannot believe that Elizabeth wouldn't take any of that and kind of put some of it aside. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Well, especially if her dad worked for Enron, like she probably learned a little bit of the family trade. Yeah. In the meantime, the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco is wrapping up to file criminal charges in addition to what had already been filed against her. And June 15, 2018, following a two-year investigation, a federal grand jury indicts Holmes and her former COO, Sonny Balwani. So I believe his full name is Ramesh Sonny Balwani, but everyone called him Sonny. In total, there were nine counts of fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Both pleaded not guilty. Okay. So essentially the whole premise of this lawsuit, the whole premise of the lawsuit was that there were two major schemes going on. One was to defraud the investors. Like, hmm. hey, I have this wonderful idea. Give me your money. I'll make it happen. It'll pay off for you in the end. And the second one was to defraud doctors and patients by telling them, hey, I have this great product. I know you want it. Give me the money. I'll give you the test. Everything's going to work out. So mm -hmm. uh, two schemes going on kind of simultaneously here. Elizabeth stepped down as the CEO of Theranos, but remained on the chair mm -hmm. of the board until the company dissolved. But um, this case is actually set for trial October 2020. So this oh, fall. Okay. So coming up. Okay. Yeah. And if convicted, she could face 20 years in prison. Hmm. There's a max of 20 years in prison associated with these charges. But I thought it was very interesting because part of the, the defense strategy that they're putting forward is they're blaming the media for this. Yeah. They're basically, yeah, right? They're basically saying that these companies like the Wall Street Journal caused undue influence upon the government and regulatory agencies. And they kind of sensationalized this story in the Wall Street Journal, which got everyone all hyped up. And then they got all wacky and started doubting her and that it wasn't her fault that they did this. Also interesting, in October 2019, her legal team asked to step down, saying that she hadn't paid any of them, and she was unlikely Shocking. to ever pay, right? No money going to come from her, and they were allowed mm -mm. to step down. Presumably, she has another attorney now. February 2020, Balwani and Holmes asked for the charges to be dropped, which, again, is not unusual in cases like this. That's always mm -hmm. the first step when charges are filed is some sort of a um, plea or something to drop the charges. And yeah, like they didn't make their case or something. The doctor and patient fraud victims portion of the lawsuit was allowed to be dropped because Theranos blood tests were usually paid for by insurance companies and not directly by the patients and doctors. So they were allowed to drop that portion. But 11 charges of wire fraud remained. And I thought it was kind of important to note that I think at this time period... She, she, she now she's kind of a persona non grata. People mm -hmm. think she's a huge fraud, but she did do some good work. She did some charity stuff in Mexico in 2015. She wanted to improve blood testing in the country. October 2015, she founded a hashtag Iron Sisters to help women in science, technology, engineering, math careers. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2015 as well, she helped draft Arizona law to help people get money to pay for a lab test without insurance and healthcare providers approval. But I don't, I mean, that again, is this whole time good. she's deceiving people with her. Right. You know, so it kind of cancels it out. I get it. Well, I know. And I was going to say like, again, yes, that that is good. Um, but also it does seem like she's doing charity in the interests of her company. So right. like, yes, she's saying, okay, Look in Arizona now, 
you can well, you can get these blood tests without a physician approval. And hey, by the way, I also happen to sell these things that yep. you can do these at home yep. blood tests. It's very so, like, self-serving. Very, very self-serving. Yeah. Um, and I think everything that she did was very deliberately calculated to propel herself forward in a way that would gain recognition and money and investors and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But one of the most significant factors in the initial and fast success of Theranos was that Elizabeth had this amazing ability to influence major figures to join her with her company, to talk mm-hmm. them into things, which seems so crazy to me that you don't have a de- workable device the technology has pretty much been poo-pooed by every scientific person that you've come across, but yet you still have the ability to influence people like Rupert Murdoch to join oh. your company. He was on her board of directors, the Walton family, Betsy DeVos, and the Cox family of Cox Enterprises. Investors ended up losing hundreds of millions of dollars when Theranos mm-hmm. went under, but... She had convinced William Perry, who was the former Secretary of Defense. Again, that's probably how she got that mm. DOD contract. Henry yep. Kissinger, the former Secretary of Whoa. State. She convinced a retired Navy admiral. She convinced Bill Fritz, which is a former U.S. Senator. Sam Nuren, CEO, or the owner of Wells Fargo. She convinced Riley Bechtel of Bechtel Corporation. Like, she really knew how to get to these people and to convince them. And they were all on the Theranos Board of Directors. Wow. Again, she has like one of the most influential, famous, powerful board of directors of any corporation in this current time period. Yeah. Or she had, sorry. But this is all based on lies. And in the meantime, she had been appointed a member of the Harvard Medical School Board of Fellows in 2015. She was named one of Times Magazine's most influential people in the world. She was named in a bunch of 30 under 30 awards with Forbes. She was also listed as one of the most powerful women by Forbes magazine, Women of the Year by Glamour magazine, and honorary doctor of human letters degree. Like, she just was... uh, She got the 2015 Horatio Algier Award as the youngest recipient in history, Forbes Business Person of the Year, and the 40 under 40 list. Uh, I think it's important to note, though, that Forbes backpedaled in 2016 and listed her as one of the world's most disappointing leaders. <laughs> but Forbes hasn't had a great track record on billionaires recently. No, they have not. Um, but by June 2016, the $80 million for Theranos was gone. And her stock was basically worthless by that point. Mm. And she'd done a lot of things to devalue the stock, and it was worth nothing by that point. The creepiest part of this to me is this romantic relationship that existed between Sunny Balwani, who was the company COO, and her. He's also okay. the man that's being that's on the lawsuits, the fraud lawsuits that's also mm-hmm. being charged alongside her. But this was a technology entrepreneur. He was Pakistani and Hindu from India. The two met in 2002 when Elizabeth was just 18 and still in school. He was 19 years older and married when they mm. met. He divorced his wife in 2002, presumably to be with Elizabeth, and they became romantically involved after the divorce in 2003, and Elizabeth dropped out of college around that same time, and the two Mm. moved into an apartment together. So, Balwani officially joined Theranos in 2009 as the chief operating officer, and he is pretty much known that he was advising Elizabeth behind the scenes the entire time. So, as long Mm -hmm. as they knew each other, although he didn't formally join the company until 2009... And many people who observed these two together said that they ran the company under this kind of veil of secrecy and fear. 
like this Ugh. weird kind of creepy secret and and with due due reason you know they yeah. knew they knew this wasn't going to work or they knew it wasn't working and that the stuff that they were doing wasn't working and yet they were still trying to sell it and get investors to pump money right. into it even though it was a dying idea or it never got off the ground to begin with and there's some differing opinion out there some say that he he got fired and he insists that he quit but he left the company in 2016 in the wake of the investigations and this whole weird saga just kind of gets even weirder in early 2019 when elizabeth becomes engaged to billy evans and he's this 27 year old hotel heir and keep in mind she's 36 at this time so he's basically nine years younger than her and this much younger man is heir to the Evans Hotel group. Um, these two together are like posting all these pictures on Instagram and trying to make themselves look completely normal. They have a husky balto together. And you can kind of Google it and see these pictures of these two together, which is so freaking weird. Now, the hotel fortune that he's heir to is basically the Lodge Torrey Pines, the Bahia Resorts, the Catamaran Resorts, and a bunch of other San Diego-based hotels uh-huh. and resorts. And Holmes and Evans got married in a private ceremony in mid-2019, and they live in San Francisco together now while Elizabeth awaits the trial. She's trying to live this really ordinary life. Yeah, she can't leave San Francisco, though. (laughs) It's so crazy because there's a lot of speculation from his family that she brainwashed him. Because why would this totally normal hotel heir from a good family marry someone who's very likely going to prison <laughs> in a very near future and who's basically one of the shadiest deceptive people to ever come out in the business world for real and that's really saying something like that's that's the title worth <laughs> worth she's one of the biggest one of the shadiest people she's one of the biggest business. scam artists of her generation and what would a normal guy like him sign up for that? Why would he sign up for that? I just don't understand. Maybe he's not normal. <laughs> and again, this goes to her ability to manipulate, her ability to persuade, her ability to sell mm-hmm. herself. Because you look at her and she's really not, to me, she, I don't think she's that attractive. She's got these big blue eyes that I think she uses to her best advantage. She's got kind of blonde hair. She's kind of a trim woman, but... You know, that deep baritone voice is a little scary, mm-hmm. but I mean, I can see where she can, she knew how to manipulate people and she probably caught this guy in her web and chose to manipulate him too. This case to me is particularly disturbing because I wanted this to succeed so badly. There are so few women in top positions in business mm-hmm. in this country. There are so few women in technology that have been able to break that glass ceiling and succeed. I mm-hmm. wanted her so badly to succeed. And then for this to happen, just set, I think it set women back in business by 20 or 30 years. What about you? I mean, yeah, she's one of the most recognizable female CEOs. Con you know, man. Uh, yeah, and, she's, and a con she's woman. a total fraud. Yeah. yeah. So it, to me, it's it's very disheartening because women in business, we've worked so hard to demand respect and to climb up from the depths of where we've been pushed down for so long. And to have something like this happen just delegitimizes everything we've done until this point. And it's very yeah. frustrating. It seems like she kind of just kept talking and talking and talking and hoping the technology would catch up with her and it just didn't yeah i mean if it had it would have been an incredible coup 
Yeah. But, oh, yeah. But it didn't. And she just kept lying. I mean, the thing is, when you invest money in a corporation like this, there's no guarantee that it's going to be successful. Sure. It is a gamble. Yeah. And there's certain points where you cut your losses and move on because you realize that the technology isn't there and it's not going to work. Right. But I think she just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And by that point, she couldn't right. step away from it and say, hey, my bad. This isn't going to work. And 15 years is probably a little too long to for the investors to stay in the game when they hadn't had any kind of proof that anything was working. But when you get big names like that, then you get word of mouth like, oh, Henry Kissinger is involved. I want to get in on that. You know what I mean? So Rupert Murdoch's involved. Right. Like, how could it be bad? Like, there's no reason for us to believe this isn't legit. Yeah. So then it just all snowballs. these people are involved mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. So it's sad um, the way the whole thing went down. I mean, and it's a concept that I think a lot of us could back up and and get on board with like I don't like the needles I'm I hate getting blood drawn it's like one of my worst fears in life I I can't even watch it when it happens like so to have the ability to do that with a single drop of Mm -hmm. blood would have been amazing she could have done some big things in this world but the bottom line is she didn't right and it was (laughs) fraud basically yeah I don't I don't mind needles but I actually kind of like them but I'm definitely the exception and not the rule right on that well, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where this case goes and what happens in the trial. And we'll definitely mm-hmm. provide an update when that comes, um, if it doesn't get delayed with all the COVID stuff. I know that many, many, many court cases right now are getting pushed mm-hmm. out and delayed and rescheduled because of the COVID issue. Um, so we'll see if this one actually does end up going to court to trial in October. But if it doesn't, we'll still provide updates when the, when they come. It will be really interesting to see all of these big name people testify. I th- what they say. I think they'll testify yeah. against her. I can't imagine like them, her losing all of these, this money for these people and then being like, well, she seems like a really good person, though. She meant well. Like, I just don't see that uh, happening. I, I think know. they'll be like, I want my money. Give me my money. Yeah, and her pictures of her husband now, like, it just, I wonder completely if he flabbergasted. Knows and, like, so that's why they got married, so he can't testify against her? I don't know. It doesn't sound like she knew him back then. Mm. And, like, I just can't imagine a, a normal, handsome heir to a hotel fortune being dumb enough to fall for. I mean,. Maybe they have this true love relationship. Maybe this is like their soulmates yeah. and they found each other in this crazy, crazy world. But when you look at him, there's just something a little bit off. <laughs> you look at the pictures of him. He just kind of has this glazed over sort of. Uh, well, he grew up in San Diego, deer, so he probably has like he's got that this surfer vibe. Deer in the and... headlights. He has kind of this deer yeah. in the headlights kind of look about And him. being a hotel heir, he probably didn't have to work for anything, you know, so... Maybe he's just, like, a spoiled kid. I mean, she definitely played her cards right, though. I mean, uh, you know you're never going to get a job with any legitimate corporation ever. Ever again in your life. Like, you're banned from holding any kind of public office in any kind of corporation for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like, your name is pretty much synonymous with scams and fraud. Mm -hmm. So, like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, where are you going to go with that? And... She found a hotel Mary, air. Hotel air yeah. <laughs> then you don't have to work and you're taken care of and you could pretty much be, you know, float back into the history of America and fade away. I bet after 10 years, if she, I think she'll go to prison, but if she doesn't or when she gets out, what have you, 
I bet she tries to start another business. Oh my God! Well, I can't wait. I to think see people. What's happen I think people that. like that can't help themselves. Like they always think no. they have like the next big idea. I think she's a psychopath. Idea. Yeah. I think she's a psychopath. And you know, I'm not just saying that. You know, to be kind of tongue in cheek about it, but I think the lack of conscience. You know, the ability to persuade people. Like the lack of remorse, like it doesn't seem as though she has any of that. Mm -hmm. And there's just, there's a lot of traits that psychopaths exhibit in the world. And, you know, a lot of them end up going to prison. (laughs) So usually the unsuccessful psychopaths, but well, and a lot of them nine times out of 10, like, you know, there's always that, that, that study they talk about where like most business presidents or something like that, or like most high executives have psychopathic tendencies, narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. They, yeah, they basically say that you are likely mm-hmm. running into successful psychopaths on a day-to-day basis because mm-hmm. they know how to hide things well. Yep. And then they also say that, you know, once they are convicted, the unsuccessful ones, they usually get out and try to do it again yeah. in some way, shape, or form. They cannot leave it alone. Yeah. They cannot They don't learn a lesson. Stop doing yeah. it. No. And there's no guilt and there's no remorse. Mm-hmm. And if there is, then they're faking it just so that they can get out mm-hmm. And so that they can, you know, get beyond the guilt and shame that people try to put on them. And then they do it all over again. So basically... They can't stay away from it. The lesson is if your kid, as a very young child, says they just want to be a billionaire without actually being more specific than that, maybe just keep an eye on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean... There's a difference between being like a serial killer type of a person where you abuse animals and you wet the bed and you have a head injury and things Mm -hmm. like that versus, you know, your psychopathic tendencies, which is like lack of remorse, lack of empathy. You know, you can't identify with people. You're very charming. You can talk people into doing a multitude of different things, Mm -hmm. even if they're like completely unrealistic asks. Um, Just things like that. Just you need to keep an eye on because it's... (laughs) It's interesting. They're among us. They're out there every day. (laughs) Blending in with the rest of us. Anyway, this is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. I cannot emphasize how important that is to us, folks. We really, really need you to show us your love and support. And, you know, give us feedback if you want us to change things. That nothing allows us to do that better than when you rate, review, and subscribe. So we appreciate that so tremendously. Social media? Uh, yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, and that's where we post all of our articles and pictures and everything like that. Yeah, if you want to shoot us an email, we're at the BFD Podcast at gmail.com. We like getting emails from you guys as well. If you want to get into some greater detail about how much you hate the show <laughs> and why, or you love the show and why, we like both of those. It allows us to kind of adjust ourselves as need be. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.